It is a couple of months before peanut harvest is in full swing. I will tell you that I'm already looking forward to it. The fragrance of freshly plowed peanuts turned on their heads out in the field gives me great delight. I fell in love with this fragrance years ago when I was beginning ministry down in the southwest corner of Georgia where truly peanuts are king. God bless the farmers who try to figure out the equation for raising peanuts though because it becomes a very, very difficult thing. And I suppose it is this way with all farming. <clears throat> Too little rain <clears throat> and the plant will not produce too much rain, and as far as peanuts are concerned, they will rot in the field. I remember speaking with one farmer in particularly about his crop, and he would say, we pull up the plant at the edge of the field early on in the process to see how the process is going, to see how many peanuts are there below this leafy manifest on the top of the ground. <clears throat> but then we check very carefully as we are getting closer to the day of harvest. Because if the ground is too wet, fungus will set in and will take all that we had dreamed we might be about together. Some harvests are absolutely epic. And the farmers wonder, where do you put all the peanuts? <laughs> what do you do with the peanuts when they truly come in as you might dream? Such is the scenario that Jesus establishes with the telling of this parable with the sharing of this provocative story. And must I say again, if it's not provocative in your mind, then maybe you haven't really gotten the punch of what Jesus is saying. He introduces this parable with the words, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. At first glance, in the context of our culture, we might wonder, what's wrong with this farmer? Is his life so bad? He's only doing what's prudent. And an abundant harvest is there for him, a thriving farm. He's wishing to take care of what God seems to have given to him. He makes provisions. As any good, sensible farmer might do by tearing down his old barns and constructing more ample storage for that with which he has been blessed. Setting aside for the future and he will be all set to enjoy his golden years. What's wrong with that? 
I ask you, what's wrong with that? Isn't that the way it works? This rich farmer would probably be a good financial advisor because he gets it. He has worked hard and he has saved wisely so that he can sit back and enjoy the fruit of his labor. And yet this idea that Jesus puts before us in this parable is stunning because just at the moment in which he seems to be most blessed, his life is taken from him. As death comes suddenly, and we know that, don't we? Reading through any newspaper, we know that death can come startlingly fast. God, at that instant, calls the man a fool. Where does Jesus get this stuff? And what is he getting at? I, I was remembering this week that Jesus began his ministry at his home synagogue in Nazareth. He had just had that journey into the wilderness where he was fasting for these many days and encountered Satan who tempted him. And after he was tempted and ministered to by the angels. He moves immediately into his hometown. And their word has already spread to them about the nature of who he is. Oh, he has some fame amongst those people there. And they welcome proudly this hometown boy to come and preach the Sabbath sermon. When Jesus gets out the scroll, he takes the words of the prophet Isaiah to which he opens and he chooses these few verses which we find in our Bibles in chapter 41. And Jesus reads the text to those that are gathered in the room. These are the words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And it says here, he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say, 
Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That was sort of his way of saying the word of God for the people of God it it gets dangerous these words that we speak Jesus said today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing and all spoke well of him if he had just stopped there oh they were mesmerized by this young man made good in the field of religion and all of the stories that were circulating about those who had been plagued with demons and healed of diseases and here Jesus sat in their synagogue. They were saying, isn't this Joseph's son? Can you believe it? Can't you believe that he's doing so well? And then Jesus begins to share with them what they would rather not hear. In fact, when Jesus begins to speak, his words set the room on fire. As he begins to share with them, accusing them of not working with God, but working against God. For he compares them to two situations, one with Elijah and one with Elisha, these grand prophets whose names they call, and yet says to them that you are no more aware of what they were seeking to speak to the people in that day and age. You are the ones whom God has such hard and difficult business getting through to. They were incensed, to put it lightly. They were filled with rage. And it says, as is recorded in Luke, that they took him to the edge of a great hill and were intending to push him off the edge when he was able to disappear somehow in the midst of the crowd. Surely he was forcing them to take a look at themselves. Recently, we had Bobby and Willamay visiting with us. Did you see them here? Oh, two of our four most precious grandchildren. Willamé, I saw at our house, standing in front of our floor mirror, a large mirror that leans against the wall in our room. And when I came through 
Willa was looking at herself. No one else was watching what was going on, I do not believe. But Willa was in her own world. She had gripped the sides of that mirror and she was looking directly into her image and she would turn her head and she would turn it the other way and then she would put her nose against the nose. Now Willa's only a year old but she was getting this that this was her but that was her too. I saw her tilt her head beyond the reflection of the glass to look at the wall and then she came back to center to see who she was sad that we don't want to look honestly at ourselves we have such a difficult time seeing ourselves honestly this is a plague upon our lives. And it's the very reason that Jesus spoke these provocative stories. In order to get us to really engage and look at ourselves for who we are. Barns are utilitarian. Their purpose is to store things. The bigger the farm, the bigger the barns. You've noticed this, just driving down any interstate or any state route. You pass by many a beautiful structure, a barn out on a farm. But they have a purpose, and that is to store implements and also grain that is harvested on the farm. This farmer was wealthy beyond the crowd's imagining. For not only was he able to think of filling the barns that he had, but he had the capability in his mind of actually removing those structures and building new and larger structures in order to house all of the grain with which he was blessed. These were subsistence people. For the most part, those that were gathered listening to Jesus were subsistence people. For them to imagine someone telling, tearing down these large structures in order to build larger structures was beyond their imagining. He pulled perfectly good barns down to build bigger, newer barns. Isn't this the mentality of the very rich? Isn't this the mentality of those who seek to acquire and build security above all else that at the bedrock of life, that security is the most important thing. I have shared with you that in this sermon series that I have been ladling the best thoughts out of 
the great preacher Howard Thurman's sermons from, goodness, I guess 60 years ago. Howard Thurman, when he was preaching on this passage, he said, he shared the story that when he was a young fella, that he began to rake yards, rake the leaves in yards within the town where he lived. He would go from door to door and ask in order that he could make a little bit of money. And he had one person who lived in a fabulously large house and had an enormous yard. And it was a good place to rake leaves. But one day when he was out raking leaves, the man who lived in the house and who had developed a conversation and obviously a liking for Howard Thurman, he said, today you will not rake leaves. And Howard Thurman thought, I'm okay with that. <laughs> he said, I want you to come and sit down with me and talk with me a little while. And so Howard Thurman joined him inside the house. And he said they had this conversation. He did not realize all of who this fellow was. The fellow talked about having grown up in Hartford, Connecticut. He was in the insurance business and had been enormously successful. But the fellow in describing all the ways in which he had been able to make money, how he had been successful in business, how he sought to care for his family and his children. Finally, the fellow said to Howard Thurman, this high schooler that he was pouring his heart out to, he said with tears in his eyes, and then he broke down weeping, Howard said. He said, it is all to naught. He said to Howard, he said, everything has gone sour. He said, all of those for whom I have felt an obligation, all those relationships, including his children, all of this has gone sour. And then he dreamed with Howard Thurman and asked the question, do you think a man like me this late in life can learn how to develop an interest in people to whom he is not obligated? God save us from this predicament. Oxfam is a major nonprofit group creating lasting solutions, as they put it, to poverty, to hunger, and to injustice. They were started in England 80 years ago, but they've become this conglomerate of many, many nonprofits that seek to call the world's attention to the divide between the haves and the have-nots. If you've heard talk about the 1%, have you heard talk about the 
That comes from the language of Oxfam. And in fact, annually now, they give a report of how the 1% and the rest of the world, the 99%, are doing. You see here, the world's richest 1% has twice the wealth of the rest of humanity. This is beyond us to fathom completely. That those who are ultra wealthy would be in control of so much of the world's resources that it would leave the remainder of the world in dire circumstances. Much of the world, it is hard for us to embrace, lives a hand-to-mouth existence, just seeking to earn enough to get through the present day at hand. For most, personal wealth seems unrelated to this problem. You and I say to ourselves, well, I'm not ultra wealthy. So what does it matter what I own in relationship to the world? Even if I were to give everything that I've got, I could not reverse this kind of scenario. But it is... The fact that you and I together make up such a large portion as well. And that that part of ourselves that doesn't see our role as being complicit in this. That I believe will catch us off guard at the time of our death. Did you pick up on the number of personal pronouns in this parable? Let me remind us. In this parable, the rich fool says, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Did you hear all of the focus on self? Such egotism and egocentric existence to the exclusion of God and community. I think it's the danger of life. Not only for the ultra-rich, it is a danger for you and I as well. There's a thriving business here in Statesboro. I don't know if you've picked up on it, but it is self-storage units. 
If you want to invest in something, invest in this. Where do we put the stuff that belongs to us? There's not room. And so we have to create space. Mike Wolf and Frank Fritz, do those names ring a bell with you? They are two of my favorites on reality TV. I do not watch them as much as I used to, but have you ever heard of American Pickers? Mike and Frank travel in a van from one community to the next all across the country looking for people who have spent their entire lives holding on to everything they can get their hands on, which would be the likes of you and me, right? And as they travel, they go into warehouses and barns and garages and attics and wherever they find it, they crawl through our junk and they find their little treasures and they carry it back to their warehouse. And then they sell it back to us. They've got a good business going. For they understand us better than we understand ourselves. But for those of us who hear and who see the reflection of who we are. May God help us to understand His grace and His presence in the decisions that we make today which have infinite significance for all of life. In Psalm 41, these precious words are written. Happy are those who consider the poor. The Lord delivers them in the day of trouble. Far better words than at the time of our death. Overhearing God to say. You fool. The suddenness of death can catch us off guard. Are you ready to make this a priority? Would we embrace the idea that our thinking, even more than just personally, but our culture's thinking, may be misguided? Let us set right the life that Christ has given. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.